So today we're going to be talking about uh, one of my favorite topics, and it's is basically a second installment of last week's chapel uh, with apologetics and the prepositional uh, defense of the faith. And just a quick review of that, prepositional, it presuppositional, <laughs> presuppositional is basically the uh, you're coming with the knowledge already that what you're saying is true and that you have a already a truth with you and that the other person uh, is using that truth, uh, the same truth that you're using. For example, a person says, oh, well, that's evil. Well, they have to acknowledge that they have, that they have the ability to understand what evil is. They have to acknowledge that. Um, and then you can finally get into, okay, what is evil now? And then that's when we get into the Bible, that we have the Word of God. See, we have every, everything that we say, we can trace it back to the Word of God. But if you do not acknowledge that the Word of God is truth, then you have to make up your own truth. And then that's where the presuppositional comes into play. Okay, so, uh, and we're actually going to get a lot deeper this week, okay, and we're going to have all of us participate. So, Julian, Sadia, Ashley, and Yuli, and myself are going to be attacking Pijo with our best arguments. So, give it up for Pijo. All right, open up your Bibles with me to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. And uh, Joby, do me a favor and uh, get me the uh, trackpad. I just forgot it when I came up here. Thank you, please, and thank you. Okay, so we're going to entitle today's message, The Absurdity of Disbelief in the Christian Worldview. The Absurdity of Disbelief in the Christian Worldview. Now, I will not have a lot of time to discuss other theistic worldviews today, but I will primarily be attacking atheism, agnosticism, deism, and pantheism. And um, pantheism is really kind of the religion of Buddhism and uh, Taoism and uh, Confucianism and certain parts of Hinduism, which is basically believing all is God and God is all. Atheism, the belief of no God, agnostic, I don't know, and then it's sassy, you don't know either. And then deism, there's a God, but we can't know anything about him. He has no interaction in the world. He kind of just sent creation like a bowling ball down the, uh, the alley, and it, just, it, it's, it is what it is. There's no way, no way to know him. Now, let's look at our definition of what apologetic is. Apologetics is the defense of the Christian faith. Okay, so apologetics is defending our faith. Polemics is attacking other worldviews. When we look at the life of Jesus, was he attacking other worldviews or was he very tolerant of them and didn't mess with them? He's attacking them. Now, we don't attack people. Remember, we don't attack people. People are not our enemy. The Bible says we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against powers and principalities, Satan, who influences people with arguments and thoughts. So remember when Satan was in the garden, he gives a worldview. You can become God. You don't need Jesus. Adam and Eve should have attacked his worldview and then defended their worldview. Polemics is attacking someone else's worldview. Apologies 
apologetics is defending yours. Confrontation, attack, debate, argument are all biblical words, and I can show you in the Bible at another time that those are biblical concepts, okay? And then the Bible says we uh, tear down, tear down every high and lofty argument that lifts itself up against the knowledge of God. So there is no compromise in the kingdom of God. In, in the time of John the Baptist, it was said the violent, uh, the, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and those who want the kingdom of heaven to go forward take it by force, okay? So the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and those who bring it forward must take it by force. And there's another uh, tie into this about this um, passion for the things of God. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. That's an attacking, full frontal um, confrontation to the gates of hell. We are not just standing back and defending ourselves, though we can, but we're full frontal attacks towards uh, the satanic worldview. And it's really just the Christian worldview and the satanic worldview. And then the satanic worldview has multiple different dimensions to it, like we just said. Agnostic, atheism, deism, pantheism, then you go into different theistic beliefs, polytheism, and then in monotheism, you have all of uh, Islam, Judaism, and uh, Baha'ism, Sikhism, etc. But the, he, here's the place where we really want to be, is we want to understand what is appropriate for us as Christians to do in attacking people's worldviews who don't understand the ramifications of their foolishness. The Bible says, the fool says in their heart, there is no God. And so when someone says there is no God, God, and then your God is wrong, and they make all these accusations against our worldview, like a Bill Maher on HBO or uh, somebody you may see uh, on Facebook or whatever. When they do that, we need to defend apologetic, apologia, the defense of, of what they're saying, and then we need to go back onto the attack and tear down their worldview. Once again, not confusing this with fist fighting. Turning the other cheek is not involved with this. This is the truth being proclaimed, sparing not, shouting aloud, and tearing down the lies of the enemy. Okay, this is why all the prophets were public preachers. This is why Jesus was a public street preacher. This is why Paul was a public street preacher. All of your apostles, all of your prophets went out into the streets and preached their message with boldness. And they suffered for it. They were persecuted. They were killed. Eleven of the twelve disciples were all martyred. You know, after Matthias uh, took Judas's place, 11 out of the 12, all except John, were martyred. And John was even boiled alive and exiled to the island of Patmos. So this, this is not going to go easy for us. But the Bible says that we should rejoice when we're persecuted. There in the Beatitudes and those really nice sayings of Jesus, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those, um, uh, the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. It says, blessed are those who are persecuted and have them say all kinds of evil about you. Because this is what they did to the prophets before you. Great is your reward in heaven. So we have to understand, we're not walking around with the martyr complex, being rude, uh, carrying signs that says God hates everybody and uh, wants to send them to, to hell. But we need to be able to engage people in the public marketplace, whether that's Facebook and social media. And you've got to decide how much to get into there, because that can be a fool's errand as well, debating things on Facebook. But, you know, if someone were to call you up from CNN and they want to interview a Christian 
millennial, and here they have a transgender person, and they say, what do you believe? You better be ready to answer with what you believe. And then when they attack your Christian faith and say all kinds of evil against you and say you're a hate monger, a bigot, and all these things, you need to defend, apologia, your Christian faith, and then you need to polemic, attack that, re that response that they're saying and tear it down for the love of the person. It's better to, to offend the mind than to let the sinner go away with their offense, I mean, with their sin. The Bible says an open rebuke is better than hidden love. It's better for me to offend the mind in hopes to open your heart than to try to walk on uh, eggshells around you and not really give you the truth. But we do it in love. We do it with grace and truth. Jesus came full of grace and truth. So there's not an inkling in our heart that they're the enemy. The transgender person is not the enemy. They have been defeated by the enemy. They are listening to the radio station of the enemy. They, as the Bible says, are in the spirit of this age. We want to pray and see them set free. So we're going to rock their arguments. We're going to tear down their worldview. Anything that they believe that is held above the knowledge of God, we're going to tear it down. And let me just show you that scripture as well. I, I didn't have it prepared here. Uh, tearing down strongholds. Let me just show that to you because that's, that's in 2 Corinthians and that will be helpful as well. Uh, turn with me to 2 Corinthians 10, 4. 2 Corinthians 10, 4. This will be really uh, beneficial for you here. I want you guys to also see, because I've been mentioning it a lot, because, you know, sometimes people think, well, Christians, we're just soft and gentle. Uh, you know, we shouldn't, and we are. The Bible says, be as wise as servants, as harmless as doves. Our words against them are not to be bigoted or hate, hateful. Uh, we don't want them to uh, go to hell. We're doing all that we can to prevent that. Here's what I want to show you in Matthew 5.11 at the end of the Beatitudes. Well, it's the last of the Beatitudes. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecute the prophets who were before you. And then Jesus also says in another place, woe unto you when all men speak well of you. So if we are the kind of pastors where Oprah Winfrey speaks well of, of us, Steve Harvey speaks well of us, Katie Couric speaks well of us, the news stations speak well of us, they love to have us on and promote our books, we need to be concerned at that point because they are in a wicked worldview, and if they're accepting of what we're saying, we must not have confronted their worldview. They, they must not have heard it correctly because at least when Larry King would have us on, like a John MacArthur and, and Franklin Graham, et cetera, uh, he would know exactly what we were saying and he would appreciate the differences and he understood that. But once again, we had to say the truth to him that we believe in a heaven and a hell. We believe that Jesus Christ is the only way. And so if you deny that, you're not really winning friends. You're really um, making friends uh, your God and then you're denying your true God. You're, you're doing the wrong thing there because uh, you. the Bible says the fear of man brings a snare. So you're afraid to tell them the truth. And don't do that. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4. And I don't say this to say like I haven't made mistakes in this, but I would say look to me as an example. I love people. I'm always smiling. You've been out witnessing with me. I always, you know, you were just out with me last week as well. We love people, but we're going to tell them the truth. We're just, this is what the Bible says. Okay, so I uh, look to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. It says uh, starting in, let's say, verse 4. 
The weapons of 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. So let's get that straight. We're not angry at the people. We're not tearing them down. We're not uh, making personal attacks against them. You know, When I say the fool says in his heart, there's no God, I'm not trying to say they're not smart and couldn't do good on their SATs or whatever. I'm saying their worldview is foolish. Love the sin or hate the sin kind of mentality. So the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. So we are to demolish strongholds. Does everybody see that? You demolish them. Now, what are those strongholds? We demolish arguments. Do you see that? We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. We take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. So when the thoughts are coming out through their words, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, we are taking those thoughts and we are filtering them through Jesus Christ. The ones that are not true in Christ are demolished and torn down. Does everybody see that? Now, let's go back to that uh, introductory passage, as I've already kind of gone to another introduction, but here's where we find the word apologia, 2 Peter, chap, uh, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. So the answers that we give is the Greek word there, apologia. The apologia word there, as it could be pronounced apologia, is a defense, and it means to tell people why you believe what you believe. Now, look at how Peter told us to do it. Give this reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. But if you suffer, look at what it says, verse 17, for it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. If I suffer because I've told you the truth, is that a good thing? Yes. If I've suffered because I've told you the truth, that's a good thing. If I prosper for telling you a lie, is that a good thing? So as, as, as a pastor, if I build a church of 100,000, which is our goal, but I don't tell you the truth about heaven and hell, I don't tell you the truth about sexuality and gender and abortion and the pop issues of our culture, the major issues of pop culture today, if I don't do that but I am successful and I have a lot of people reading their Bible coming to church but I never confront their worldview, they don't repent of sin, they think they're right with God living with their uh, boyfriend or girlfriend, they're, they have all of these sins in their hearts, Am I doing good? No, I am not. But if I suffer for doing good, am I doing good? Yeah, am I, am I blessed? If I, just like with the prophets. The prophets were awesome. Isaiah was awesome, but they hated Isaiah. Jeremiah was awesome, but they threw him in a pit. Elijah was awesome, but they called him a troublemaker. Jesus was awesome. What did they do for him? Throw him a pizza party? They crucified him. Paul was awesome. What did they do to him? Behead him. Peter was awesome. What did they do to him? Crucify him upside down. John, the apostle of love, was awesome. What did they do to him? Boil him in hot oil and exile him to Patmos. Timothy was an amazing man of God, a young pastor who served the Lord into his old age. What did they do to him at a pagan festival when he preached against their, pa their pagan idolatry? Did they give him a, a key to the city? Did the mayor bring him over for a special banquet? No, they beat him to death and drug him through the city. 
That's what they did to the old man, Timothy. They had no respect for him. That's what the Romans did to us for 300 years, and that's what they're doing to us in North Korea. That's what they're doing to us in Islamic lands. That's what they're doing to us in China right now. They hate the light. They hate us because they hate our master. But we are called to be sheep as unto slaughter and to give them that gospel, and we don't die. When we die, it, we multiply. Amen? So if we die, we multiply. And the, and the blood of the martyr is the fertilizer of the gospel. Where it is often persecuted the most is where it grows and thrives the most. It's in a place like America where Christianity is dying and that we're running into the closet, running away from them, that we see that we get no respect from them. You see, you think or the world thinks that they'll have respect for us as we cower. But the churches that capitulate and change their stances on homosexuality and all these things are dying. It does not help them because the world has no respect for them. I even had one of my uh, friend's mothers come here. She used to go to uh, one of the churches I would pastor here in the city, and now she goes to a gay-affirming church that had a lesbian pastor so forth. And she told me as she was sitting down, she said, I am shocked that every time I come to see my granddaughter at your church, you're busting at the seams, you're growing, but yet you preach all of that quote-unquote hate, but the church I go to that preaches inclusion has less than uh, 20 people. Well, there's a difference, and it doesn't mean popularity makes right or wrong because, you know, uh, Oprah Winfrey has millions of people with her New Age philosophy, but here's the point where she realized in the church is that the world has no respect for that because if they're gay and they're okay and, and if they're living together and they're okay, then what is the reason to go to a church? There's no real reason. A social club is a social club. I'll just go to this one at the lake today, to the boating club. But church isn't a social club. It's a, it's a place where people actually believe it's true heaven and hell are at stake. So what we need to do is understand how to defend the faith and do it with love and gentleness. Uh, the next scripture that I want to bring up to you is what Paul was doing with the Greeks when he was preaching to them here in Athens. And we need to understand as Christians the difference between dealing with Jews and dealing with Greeks. This is a concept of the New Testament. Jews believe in God but have religion. They don't have a grace message. That's the concept of uh, the New Testament. Uh, Jewish people obviously had the grace message in their old covenant. They could receive grace from God that way in faith because that's how Abraham was justified was by faith. Um, but here's what happened. They lost that and they went on works, and by works no man can be justified. And so they represent to us a worldview of someone who believes in God, but a salvation of works, which is everything outside of Christianity. Everything outside of Christianity is a works-based religion. Everything outside of Christianity is works-based. The Greeks represent all the mindsets of modern-day philosophy taking credit for the schools of thought, of philosophy, the Greek culture. And so when Paul goes to the Greeks, he doesn't start off with the Bible says this, the Bible says that, and gives them a whole bunch of scripture. He goes to the commonality of worldviews and their philosophy, and he shows them that the worldview of the Christian is what grounds the philosophy that's true in the Greek religions or the Greek philosophies. When he goes to the Jews, he explains scripture, book in the man, book in the man, 
and he shows Jesus Christ. So if he's talking to a Jew, he's going to show in the Old Testament, the book, the man, Jesus Christ, the prophecies. If he was to go and talk to a Muslim, he would show in the Bible Jesus over the false prophet Muhammad and what he was teaching. So whenever we're dealing with the Greeks, we are going to confront their worldview and see and show them that it cannot conform to logic and reason. And then whenever we deal with the Jews or world religions, we're going to go to the book and the man, book and the man, put them next to each other and show them the Bible and Jesus, Bible and Jesus. So here's Paul, and he says, from one man he made all nations, talking about Adam, that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out the appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands, so when you would be born and where you would be born. God did this. Now, he undergirds the entire reason why there are lands and people, why they are actually in that place, why things can be true as they discuss philosophy. He said God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any of us. For in him, and now this is where Paul quotes Epicurus, one of their uh, pagan uh, philosophers. He says, for in him we live and move and have our being, as some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Does everybody see that? And so that is, uh, oh, this, excuse me, this is from the Stoic philosopher Aratus, and then this, uh, we are his offspring is from the Stoic philosopher Aratus, and then this one right here, um, okay, so that, yes, the offspring quote is from Aratus, not Epicurus. So please forgive me, I had the wrong name. Okay. Now, where else in the Bible does it say that? Why would Paul come in that direction? Because King Solomon, the man of wisdom himself, who wrote Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes and the Song of Solomon, look at what he writes here in Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 3, verse 11, talking about God. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Doesn't that sound like what Paul was saying there in Athens? He puts everybody in the land at his time, okay? He has made everything beautiful in his time. He has also set eternity, this is what Joe helped us uh, with last week, he has, set a, he has also set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. So he puts eternity in our heart, the desire to have a relationship with God, as Paul mentioned there in Athens, that we should reach out to him and find him because he's not far from any of us. The eternity in our heart is that God-shaped hole that only he can fill. It's also the reason why we have reason. It's the answer to why we can do all that we do because we're made in the image of God. I also want to show you another scripture that he catches the crafty in their craftiness. And this is um, where we'll show why we do what we do when we're speaking to, um, he, he catches the wise, let me see, in their craftiness. Let me get this scripture here. Apologize for you not, uh, not having this ready. It just came to my mind. Job chapter 5, verse 13 now. Job chapter 5, verse 13. And then we'll make it uh, practical here. Job chapter 5, verse 13. He catches the wise in their craftiness, and the schemes of the wily are swept away. Okay, so let's just put this all together. Uh, well, let me just show you the other one. Uh, answer a fool according to his folly. 
Answer a fool according to his folly. Proverbs chapter 26, verse 5. Proverbs chapter 26, verse 5. Here's all the scriptures that I've been wanting to get to. So they'll be on the board now. You can at least take your notes and you can have them. And as I reference them, you'll be like, yeah, I know where that's at. Answer a fool according to his folly, or he will be wise in his own eyes. He catches the wise in their craftiness, okay? Those are the two methods that we use, especially in dealing with the Greeks, is that we're going to catch the quote-unquote wise in their craftiness. We're going to shut them down. We're going to show them that their arguments are fallacious and illogical. They're the one that's actually illogical, as they call out to science and logic. We show them that. And then we answer the fool according to his folly. We show the fool. There is no bigger fool, the Bible says, than the one who says there is no God. So we show the fool in their folly how ridiculous they are, and we expose them. The other one says, don't answer a fool lest he think he's wise. That's a non-listening fool, a fool that does not want to reason with you. The Bible says, don't throw your pearls before swine or they'll turn and trample on you. So we're knowing the difference between the kind of people we want to engage in a conversation. And here's a great way to engage that person to know who you're talking to, what kind of fool uh, you're talking to, and that is... um, you say you disbelieve in God. I heard you walk by. You kind of made fun of us. You know, say we're witnessing. Okay, come on back. Let's talk. Let's talk. I heard, heard you say we were stupid. Let me ask you, uh, can we have equal time and listen to each other and have a rational discussion? If they say yes, answer the fool according to his folly. If they're like, well, you Christians, this, this, and that, be like, oh, okay, no problem. Oh, just wanted to see, you know, we'll let you go. Enjoy your day. God bless, you know, because you don't have to get into a yelling match. You don't have to have irrational conversations with people. Stupid is as stupid does. Jesus knew what conversations and when to have them. Same thing with Paul. Okay, so let's put this all together and go to our approach now that we call presuppositional apologetics. We'll call it PA, and that is the approach that we are going to attack the presuppositions in the argument before we deal with the evidences. Remember, there's different ways to do apologetics. Presuppositional is to go to the presuppositions, the axioms, before we go to the evidences. Another one is called evidentialism. I'll show you my evidence. You show me your evidence. Let's see who's got the best evidence. And another one is like the classical approach, which does a little bit of uh, uh, presuppositional and a little bit of evidential. And it's okay to mix them, and uh, classical may be a little bit more different than that, but that's kind of how I understand it. But the most important that we need to understand is the presuppositional. We need to know how to answer the one that's in their folly right off the bat and humble them, catch them in their craftiness and sweep away their wily schemes, that wily coyote, that scheming coyote, right? If you remember, that's where you might have heard that word before. We need to sweep them away and get them to be out of our way and humble them so that they cannot keep making fallacious statements, okay? Now, what is our presupposition? Because everybody has them. These are the axioms, the foundation of your worldview, how you see the world around you. Ours is God and his word found in the Bible. Now, we will go toe-to-toe with anybody else's presuppositions, and we will show them that they are illogical unless they agree to this.
Now, once again, I do not have time to go booking the man against the other monotheistic religions today. I don't have time to do it. Next week, maybe we can talk about answering the other religions from our worldview. But today, specifically, I want to answer the, the, uh, the presuppositions of atheism, agnosticism, deism, and pantheism. Does everybody see that? Okay, now watch. Watch this right here. It's so simple, and then I'm going to hear from you guys, and I know it's already running a little late here. Okay, so somebody stands here, and they say, let's say they are an atheist, and they say right here, how do you know God exists? They, they put it on us, okay? How do we answer them? Do we start giving them proof? Well, you know, the Big Bang. You know, what banged it? Nothing. Do we start off by showing them their human conscience? Do we start off by showing them the, the, uh, the design of nature? No. What do we do? Let's go on the mics now. So what do we do, sir? Go and turn it on so they can hear you. Uh, you would say, how do you know he doesn't exist? No. Very close. But let's pass that on. It's maybe a little difficult. Do I need another one for you guys? But then it has to be put up. Sorry, man. You know what? Let's just get that moving back and forth. Do you want to give it a try? Yep, go ahead. Let's just leave it on now at this point. I think it'll be okay. Thank you. Uh, because the Bible says so. Very, very good. So how do I know God exists? That's what I'm going to say because the Bible says so. Then they're going to laugh at you and think you don't know what you're talking about. So how are we going to attack their worldview? Okay, hand the Bible, uh, the Bible, the, the, the mic to, to Joe B. But that is true. We'll talk about that in a second. And, and then after they say, well, that's foolishness, that's the Bible, you're going to yeah. be like, okay, well, then how do you know which you think is true, right? Yes. So, so let's just... You would, attack, you would attack their... You attack their worldview. So before I even go to the Bible, let's just pause right here. I'm going to ask them the question, how do you know anything? Yeah, there you go. How do you know anything? You've asked me, how do I know something? I know something because God and the Bible. How do you know something? The Soteriatic, the Socratic method of discussion is asking questions. So we ask, answer their question with the question. If they want a quick answer, we will. God in the Bible. Ashley is absolutely right. They're going to laugh and think that's dumb. But we're going to rock them with it. But we got to go now to how they know anything. So you, you've asked me a question presuming, presuming that you can know stuff. I want to now know how you know stuff as an atheist. How do you know stuff? And so what they're going to have to do, watch, they're standing here as an atheist. They're asking me a question. What they have got to do now is they have got to ground their worldview. They've got to tell me what are they stepping on to let me know that they can know anything. So they may say, well, because of science. And then we back it up one more. Remember, we just keep taking it back to their foundation. Yeah. So they say science. And then we say, how do you know science is real? Well, because I can test and experiment things. How do you know you're real? How do you know you're not a brain in a vat right now and a scientist is making you say what you're saying, that you're not in virtual reality? Elon Musk thinks we may be in a virtual reality. Tesla card, some of the smartest people in the world right now are thinking we could be in a virtual reality. And I'll show them. I have the videos of their smartest people saying there is no way to know if we're even existing right now. And then they'll say, well, because, uh, you know, this is the only thing that I know 
and this is the basis that I have to go on. And they may even borrow one of our, our philosophers like Descartes and say, I think, therefore I am. And then we're going to say, well, how do you know you're even thinking? Descartes is our foundation. The worldview from us. You're borrowing our worldview. So get your own. Stop stealing. Stop stealing our worldview. You want to talk about questions of science. You want to talk about questions of truth. Uh, you being an actual person that can distinguish things. Tell me how you can do any of that, and what are they going to be forced to admit? There's a God. They're going to be forced to admit either there's a God or they don't have any answer. And so this is now what they are going to say. I don't know. And then now they're going to say, and neither do you. Because we're, when they ask us, well, how do we know? They're going to get upset. They're going to say, well, how do you know? Come on. I'm going to say, because God said. Well, how do you know God said? Because God said. And they're going to say, no, now you're arguing in a circle. And I'm going to say, true? I only have to show you in my worldview that it makes logical sense that I can have knowledge of things. Already, plus one for me, zero points for you. We can't even start the conversation now. Now they may say, well, what if I say the flying spaghetti monster made everything? Give me the attributes of the sp flying spaghetti monster. Well, he's all-powerful, all-knowing. You just described God. A duck by another name is still a duck. So until you're willing to admit you can't know anything without God, we can't even give you any evidence yet. You don't deserve it according to your worldview. Okay, think about that. And it rocks them. It catches them in their craftiness. They thought they were crafty with you. They were going to start launching arguments and get you on the defense. And here you're stepping back like Paul saying, the only reason why you're here at this time is because of God. And the even reason why you know anything is because God told you. Now let me give you a perfect example of this so that as you're attacking their worldview down here, you're standing on a foundation that they can begin to see rationally is true. Imagine if you had your wife and a child, and you guys lived on a deserted island, and it's just you, your wife, and a child, or husband and child, right? Your spouse and a child. Your wife has the child under a certain tree there in the island, okay? Now the child grows up and says, I want to know what tree I was born under, okay? She has no scientific equipment. You took away anything that would be any evidence that you were under that tree, okay? Can she ever know what tree she was born under? No. She can never, on her own, can she ever know? No. No. What is the only way she can know what tree she was born under? Is if someone tells her what tree she was born under, okay? Can you ever know the start of human existence? No, because no. you weren't there. You can use science and trust that it's valid because of what you see in this world. But you can't explain why science even works to show you design, procreation, all of these things. Unless somebody tells you that you're actually here, you're not an illusion, you're not a dream in one of the gods of Greece's mind right now, which philosophers used to talk about, maybe we're in a dream of one of the gods, that you are actually here. Someone has to tell you you're here. Now, if they say, well, I just know that I'm here. I, I just know. I, I don't need to know from anybody else. I just know. Then what are you going to say back to them? Ow. How do you know? Well, I just know. And then they're going to go back and forth. And then all you have to do is ask them this. Could you be wrong? How do you know you're not wrong? 
And then it just leads them right back down the same path. Here are the quick one-liners that establish this so you guys can get into it. So they say, well, that's true for you, but that's not true for me. You ask them, is that true for everybody? Because truth is not relative. Can you go to the bank and, and they tell you you only have $50 in your account and you go, well, that's true for you, but not for me. I really have a million dollars in there. If they say, well, I don't believe in absolute truth, you ask them, is that absolutely true? If they say to you, no one can know the truth, you ask them, is that true? Yes, no one can know the truth. Well, then how did you know the truth that no one knew, knew the truth? Do you see how quickly you're turning their claim on them? What are you showing them? You're showing them their folly. You're showing them their folly. Now, do we have evidence for God in the Bible? Yes, but the first thing that we want to show them is that they can't know anything unless they have a belief in a God who reveals stuff. Unless your father as a person, you would, if you didn't have a father, you wouldn't exist in this scenario. We're not talking about incubation or anything, and still then you need a seed, right? But in the, the, the island scenario, without a father, you can't exist. And without the mother or father's information, you'll never know what tree you were born under. It's the perfect example to help them understand. Without a God, you can't know anything, and without God telling you something, you wouldn't know if you were right or wrong. So that's why the deist is wrong. God has to tell us stuff. So they say, well, okay, let's say the deist now says, well, I can understand there has to be a God because there can't be an infinite regress. There has to be a starting point, and things don't come from nothing. I'm following you there, and we wouldn't know anything unless we were an intelligent being, and intelligence makes intelligence. We never see non-intelligence create intelligence. Okay, So they say, I go there with you. But how does that mean anything we're saying is true outside of what science says it is? Why do we have to believe in some Bronze Age book, you know, people of this ancient world and all these myths supposedly in the Bible? Well, what we then say to them is a God without a revelation leaves us in the same place of not knowing anything to be true. Why is science true? And if they, if they agree with us, they go, well, because God grounds science. God is scientific. God is knowledgeable, wise, and true. God cannot lie. God conforms nature to his character. That's why the laws are conformed in uniformity, uniformity to the laws he created. Are you listening? But then they say, well, God can just do that, but he doesn't necessarily have to give revelation about heaven or hell and those things. And we, we would have to say to them that the knowledge of God in science points to the knowledge of God in salvation. They're not separate. The heavens declare his majesty. Romans chapter 1 says that from creation we're given the conscience to not only know that there's a creator, but to know the moral law. And so that's where you would then hit them with the moral laws are just as real as the logical laws. They are not subjective. So then you would just simply ask them this. Do you believe that morals operate on the same laws of logic that science operates on, the law of non-contradiction, the law of uh, identity. Do you believe morals are logical? And now if they say, no, morals are subjective, then you ask them, is that a subjective statement? Do you see, is that true for everybody? See, because if it is, you just made your first truth statement by contradicting yourself, there is no truth. It's like saying that my, my, my parents had no children that lived. Can that be true? Can it be true? I don't know a word of English. Can it be true? 
No, I'm speaking to you in English as I'm saying I don't know a word of English. Can it be true that my, children, uh, my parents had no children that lived as I'm here telling you? No. So the idea that they now want to treat morality or religious beliefs different than scientific beliefs shows that they don't understand how logic works. Things are true whether we want them to be true or not. They're true because God said they're true and God created them from his nature. So truth is never subjective, otherwise it's not true. Things morally, uh, scientifically, religiously, all obey the same laws of logic. Now, they may want to say to you, religion doesn't obey the laws of logic. Okay, then just say to them, then why should I listen to your religious beliefs? Because you're illogical, right? You could be wrong. Well, I know I'm not. How do you know? And bloop, 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 bloop. <laughs> you know? Oh, and then here's a perfect example. Well, I think God did this wrong in the Bible, and God did this, and what about all the suffering? Why do you have a problem with suffering? If there is no God, there is no problem with suffering. We're all just, you know, ants on a planet that's off somewhere in the middle of this galaxy, in the middle of the universe. Why do you care? Why are you arguing about it? Are you listening, right? And then, if, and then they say, well, because it feels wrong. Because your feelings be wrong. You don't have the right to borrow from our worldview, stand on top of our uh, uh, rationality, our logic, our truth, and then slap God in the face because he did something you don't like him doing. If there is no God and there is no morality, there is no objective truth, whatever you're saying is just nonsense. And then you bring them back to their own review, you know, because they'll say somewhere in there, you know, I came from evolution. Well, if you came from evolution, you don't even know if you can trust the brain chemicals of your mind because you are a product of a mindless uh, uh, survival of the fittest. Your brain chemicals, this is where it's going to get weird, so follow me here right now because it's like the, uh, you could be a brain in a vat somewhere, but this will blow your mind. This is, this is one of those, like, let's say, scary ones, but it's uncomfortable to think about. You actually could be a form of an intelligent ant right now that over time developed a complex system in their mind to understand the world around them and created a world to look like this. And so when you're eating those Cheetos, what you're really eating is another slimy bug, but you created a world out of your mind to make you think that is a Cheeto or whatever. And so you could be literally just an intelligent ant insect walking around right now eating bugs, doing all that you're doing. But in your complex mind, you evolved to believe in what we would call an illusion. And you may think, oh, that's so silly. But that is exactly what the smartest of the atheists believe you're already doing, okay? And so Alex Rosenberg, Dr. Alex Rosenberg, the philosopher from Duke University, see, it's an uncomfortable thought. The, the, the philosopher, he wrote the book, The Atheist Guide to Reality, and he explained that you don't have any meaning. Everything is meaningless. And then we ask him, well, why did you write a book? Why are you even here? Why, if it, the whole world is meaningless? And what he then says is, is because we are creating the illusion from brain chemicals of, me, of meaning. We're creating from our brain chemicals the illusion of free will, but we're really nothing more than a physical brain that's just creating these things to survive. And so at one point, the ant is running away from a bird. And so to make it think that it's going to get safely, it could create a gym. And now it's on a treadmill. But it's really, you're not really on a treadmill. You're, every time you go to the supposed gym and you're running on a treadmill, you're really just an ant running from a bird. But you created that reality as an illusion. 
Do you understand? It's a mind-blowing thing, and it's not, it's not foolishness either. Uh, I mean, it's not like it is foolishness, but it's not like it's coming from, like, that college student, you know, whose dorm room always smells like weed, you know? That's, that, that, this is coming from their smartest because they cannot ground their reality. And so you cannot say there's a world of suffering and you have a problem with it. There is no such thing as suffering unless you have a conscience soul. There is no such thing. So I'll just show it to you real quick so I can read it. Alex, Dr. Alex Rosenberg, um, the, the Atheist Guide to Reality. And let me read it to you here. Okay. And let me show you here in the book. Okay. Here he, he just, you know, goes right at the beginning and answers all the questions. Is there a God? No. What is the nature of reality? Whatever physics says it is. And remember, physics can't say nothing. It's not like physics is the Sesame Street version of it, P-Y-H, dancing around saying stuff. Physi physicians or, uh, you know, particle physicists. Physicists say things, but physics says nothing. What is the purpose of the universe? Now watch. What is the purpose of the universe? There is none. What is the meaning of life? Ditto. Why am I here? Just dumb luck. Does prayer work? Of course not. Is there a soul? Are you kidding me? Is there free will? Not a chance. What happens after we die? Everything goes on just like we were here before, uh, before we were here. What is the difference between right and wrong, good and evil? There is no difference between them. Why should I be moral? Because it makes you feel better. Is abortion, suicide, paying taxes, foreign aid, or anything I don't like forbidden? No, anything goes. This is their book. This is their uh, uh, atheist philosopher from Duke. So please don't think that the kind of things that I'm saying right now can just be brushed off by saying, well, no, I don't believe that. Well, you haven't thought through your worldview enough yet. But we're going to help you think through your worldview, okay? So that's kind of the foundation of it. And now I will let you guys, uh, if you want, to play the devil's advocate or you guys can ask questions. And it was funny because we talked about this yesterday, uh, last week and we wanted somebody from Wright College to do this and it was that last guy right at the end, and you guys all had to go, but I ended up talking to him for a half hour, but he wouldn't let me record him, and uh, we, we kept rocking him with this. Okay, so play the devil's advocate or ask questions, and please, let me just say this. Please don't feel like I'm being aggressive towards you guys. It's just in these conversations, I just get excited, you know, so I'm not angry. Even with the people I'm with, I like to tell them, like, man, I'm not angry with you. I'm just excited. I want you to see this, okay? Yeah, any, any, well, let's stay within these worldviews. Let's say next week we'll talk about other monotheistic worldviews like Islam and things. So let's stay with atheism, agnosticism, deism, pantheism. And, of course, the two major ones that you guys are going to deal with that come off with their best arguments, whatever, it's going to be atheism and agnosticism. So, But, you know, you can go really from there. And then, yes. Why don't you hold that for your question when you have a microphone? Okay. Yes, go ahead. Um, the one that I was thinking about that came to my mind, um, I'm not, I, I think this is more of an agnostic point of view, is if um, there's, say there's a people group in a remote place somewhere far away, and um, they've never heard about God or Jesus for that matter, um, what would you say about them? What happens to them? Like, why, why, why do they not have the chance to know about Jesus? But who are you? Are you a Christian and I'm doing a Bible study with you, or are you an atheist? Atheist. Why no, agnostic. Care? I'm sorry. Okay, agnostic. why do you care? Just so to what? To, just to try to prove you wrong. So what? I mean, it doesn't matter. Here's the point. Why do you care about yeah. what my religion thinks about people in a jungle somewhere? 
Think through it. Just keep going. Try, I'll, try, I'll help you in the devil's advocate. But um, the first thing you got to ask him, why do you care? So what? That's, that's a big thing that we need to understand. You guys uh, need to get a T-shirt maybe made. Uh, Apologia did as well. And you just need to wear a lot of times when you go street evangelizing, just say, so what? Uh, see, what they have done, and here's the, here's the folly, here's the folly of it, really, is what they have done is they've gotten Christians to think they have to defend evidences, you know, evidences. And so they're going to get you dancing all over the God's green earth, all over the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, but they haven't earned that right. Yeah. So what? What is your problem, and this is where I'm, like, I'm now upset with you, what is your problem with my God creating some people without as much revelation as he creates other people? What's your problem with that? Uh, my problem with that as an agnostic is that I believe there's a God, but I don't know if Jesus would be the God that, to do okay, that. Okay, so, so there is a God? Yes. Okay, and how do you know that? Because I think there is. <laughs> okay, so it's hard to play the devil's act. Okay, so how do you know there's a God? <laughs> At some point, God is going to have to tell you there's a God. Otherwise, you can be lying to yourself. Yeah. So how did, how did God tell you that? Well, I saw creation. I felt it in my heart. Okay? Well, you've already given up your belief that there is no God. Now you're saying there is a God. So now what I'm going to, what I'm going to do is go to the book and the man, Jesus in the Bible. Jesus is the revelation of God to us. Have you studied the life of Jesus? That's what I'm going to ask you. Have you studied the life of Jesus? No. Okay, so Jesus is the revelation of God to us on the earth, and he does walk and talk among us, historical person. He does live and die, historical evidence. And three days later, he raises from the dead, historical evidence. And so I take that man serious. So if, if Jesus was who he said he is, did what he said and others said he did, would you believe Jesus's revelation about these people in Africa and every other question you may have about existence? Would you take Jesus at his word? Yes. Okay, so that's, that's the thing. So that's where you just bring them right to the book and the man. Um, anybody that says, I believe in God, go right to the book and the man. So let me be clear on this. The, uh, you can pass it to her. The, the discussion is not meant to stay in the realm of philosophy. It's not meant to stay there. Go to the book in the man. Get to the Bible. Yeah. Go to the Bible of Jesus. And how, what's the, what is the foundation of the Bible? Jesus. The, the, the previous book speaks to Jesus or speaks to the Messiah coming, speaks to a God that manifests himself to the people. And then Jesus says, I am that God, I am that one, walks and talks among us, reveals the Father to us, does the most uh, historical miracle that, uh, that can be attested to, the resurrection, and the most important miracle, raising from the dead, showing us that the most powerful uh, foe against us, death, has been defeated. And so the book in the man is a great place to be, but now it's, not, it's no longer... Um, uh, you know, catching them in their craftiness. And so maybe uh, we want to stay on that a little bit longer just to help you guys. Or if you really feel like you just got that down, I'm okay with moving on from there. But they will try to get you to chase your tail or in some way make you feel like you're arguing in a circle. But the, 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 because the big terms are is you're begging the questions, your circular reasoning. But the nature of presuppositions, and if you run into a smart philosopher and it says that to you, then you have to uh, say to him, well, you're doing the same thing. We both have circular arguments and beg the question when we come to a base reality. There's no other way to go from there. You can't prove base reality without using things in base reality. And so that is, by definition, a circular argument, but there's no way around it. So both 
have to accept the, the presuppositions of I'm here, I'm having a discussion, and one of us can be right or wrong, but not both of us can be right, you know, something like that. And then that's where you show them which worldview supports what we're doing. Which worldview even supports it? Like, which worldview can we actually stand on and go, let's have a debate about this? Can you do it from a non-God reality? No, you can't, because you don't know if you know anything. Your brain chemicals are just telling you to do certain things, just like how pop fizzes after you open it up because of the carbonation. You're nothing more than brain fizz in a, a bag of plasma right now. Uh, and you don't have any meaning. And once again, you don't know if you're a brain in a vat in a jar or an ant that created an illusion to think it's a person with limbs. You have no clue of where this rabbit trail ends, okay? So they would have to ground them. But let me just say this once again. But the moment they say, man, there could be a God, then we go to, well, have you looked at Jesus? Let's talk about Jesus, and let's look at what the Bible is. And the moment they start saying, well, the Bible could have changed, and this, this, and that, then we just simply say to them, how do you know? So how do you know that God cannot speak? Is there anything illogical with this sentence? God can speak and preserve his word. No, there's nothing illogical about that. So if now you want to argue about manuscripts or you read some Bart Ehrman book or something, why are we going to go back and forth and argue evidences when the evidence is not what's going to change your mind anyways? It has to come from your humility to admit there's a God, he speaks, and he spoke through Jesus. That's, the, that's it. From that point forward, you can show them that God, Jesus said that man does not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Jesus believed that the prophets of the Old Testament were really speaking for God. Jesus believed that Adam and Eve were real people. That's how we rock the other world religions, is we say, did your prophet raise from the dead and ascend to heaven? Okay? No. Listen to ours then. You get what I'm saying? That's why we don't listen to Abu Dalla of, of the Baha'is. Did he raise from the dead? No. Then he's not to be listened to. The Bible says that anyone who comes another way into the gate other than through Jesus, Jesus said, I am the gate of the sheep and I am the shepherd. Anyone who comes in another way and tries to lead out the sheep, they will not listen to them and they're a thief and a liar. So you may want to put Jesus on your team or the buffet of religions and have a little Jesus with a little Buddha, whatever, but Jesus said you can't do that. He said, I the way, the truth, and the life. Then they say, well, how do you know that? Because the Bible says so. Well, how do you know the Bible says so? Let's go to the logical statement. Can God speak and preserve his word? Okay, if you now want to have a Bible study of evidences, admit there's a God and admit Jesus is who he said he is. If at that point you want to study further, the, the evidence for the Bible is absolutely there for you. We're not saying we're not going to give them a... a uh, um, we're not going to give them a, a, a Daniel Wallace book. Uh, is his name Daniel Wallace? Yeah, just uh, all these books that we have that defend. One of our greatest text, textual critics right now is Daniel Wallace. That's yeah, Daniel Wallace. He also did the NET translation. Well, we'll give you the most, uh, Bruce Metzger. We'll give you the greatest theologians and historians and textual critics we have. But remember, Jesus didn't say, go study textual critics to get saved. Jesus said, whoever believes in me shall not perish. Right? That's the message of Jesus. Let's go to Ashley. I did. Okay, awesome. Let's pass it over to Joe B. I think he wants to do something about pantheism. I do. Okay, go ahead. Um, so I believe that we're all God. Yes. Um, I believe. How do you know? 
Well, because there's no need for a individual external creator. Who told you that? Uh, science. So how do you know science is true? Well, because they have scientific, the scientific method. Uh, we're made of atoms. Okay. So uh, things, things work. Therefore, you can make a religious statement. Oh, yeah. So God told you through science that there is no distinction between nature and creation. Well, yeah, I believe I am God. I mean, God. the God in creation. Well, I believe I am God. I believe those sciences. Yeah, but who God. told you that? Science told you that? No, because it's we're self-creating. There's no need for someone. Yeah, to but how us. do you know that? How do you know you're doing that? Well, all that you see in science. Look at all that you see. All you see is life producing life, right? Mm -hmm. But how do you know that translates to I am now the creator of that life? Mm -hmm. Well, my mother and my father, they had me. Yeah, and where'd they okay. come from? Well, they came from their parents. Yeah, but where'd they come from? Well, they came from generations. Okay, where'd they come ancestors. from? Well, ultimately they came from, from who? Not, well, them. Evolution. not them. Not them. Ultimately, it came from not them. Not them, yeah. So they were not their own creator. Does the, no. does the chicken lay its own egg? No. Okay, so then you can't be the universe. Well, and, you, and God can't be the universe. The chicken and the egg are two different things. You cannot lay your own egg. If the universe is here existing and has a beginning, and let's just say we're going to take the Big Bang right now, whether you agree or not, but let's just say we're going to take what all the scientists says, it has a, as science says it has a beginning, then when it began, it began from something it was not. Something it was not began that. The Apple computer was once not an Apple computer, and it was created by something not the Apple computer. So someone, like we would say intelligence, makes an intelligent thing. It cannot be the same thing. This has a beginning, the other one doesn't. So now you have to explain, you have to explain how you know that you and the universe are both the same thing, and yet you are different in a hundred different ways. You're different than the universe in a hundred different ways. Your lifespan is different, you're intelligent, all of these things, Mark. So this is the law of non-contradiction, and this is the law of identity. You can't say A and B are the same thing with there being differences. Their identity has to be lined up, and then you cannot say that uh, uh, the universe and me are the same thing if there are differences. Do you get what I'm saying? Law of non-contradiction and law of identity. So how do you know that you're not just a creature of a creator separate from him? How do you know? Well, I, Give me I, your best proof. Because you said science, but science just proves what I said. Yeah, I, I, well, I guess you're, you're, you're right there, right? I'm the, right the, where. Say where I'm that right. That there has to be a creator before, uh, yeah. outside of creation, right? Yeah, are you the creator? What? Are you no, the creator? I guess I'm not the creator. Okay, because you're not the creator. So you're going to die like yeah. a creation. Yeah. Our creator came here in the flesh, yeah. died and rose again. For our sins. So the creator proved that he was among us, and he ascended to heaven. Let's well, see you do that or any of your other gurus can, do that. Can't the creator kind of like disperse himself and become like one with the creation? No, because then he loses his identity. The law of identity. If Think about this. If, if, there, is, if there is no distinction, if there is no distinction between two things and they're the same thing, then they have to be identical. And the universe is not identical to the creator. If you now do away with all of the identifications of a creator, all-knowing, all-powerful, something that starts things and, and goes on, then no longer you have a God. You don't have a God anymore. You only have a natural world. Now you are just like the atheist. So the pantheist, to be consistent, and this is just to help you walk through this, because it, it sounds like I'm contradicting, not like I'm contradicting, but it sounds like 
I'm tricking the pantheists, but really pantheists talk about this too. If everything is God, then God is really nothing, then God doesn't exist. It's a logical argument, and you just have to walk through it and take your time because what you did is you erased the line of what made God God. The universe is not God by the basis of, of its identity. It has a start and a finish, which we see with the, 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 um, the red shift, you know, uh, uh, with um, uh, Hubble telescope and Einstein. Einstein thought there was a steady state, but now they know that the universe has a beginning and it has an end. It will, it will, uh, it will lose all of its uh, sustainable energy. And so now what they try to do is come up with what they call uh, oscillating universe or the, uh, the multiple world universes, that there's a machine that keeps putting out universes and one implodes and another one starts and all of this keeps going on and on and on. But then you have no explanation for where the multiverse come from. And so the pantheist has to live in an area of contradiction. And so this is what they will do, the yin and the yang. This is what they'll do. I'm okay with that contradiction. It doesn't have to make sense. That's how they'll argue it. They'll say it doesn't have to make sense. The, the drop of water is separate, yet it's in the water. And they'll say all these things that sound profound, but it's actually silliness because the drop of water is in its, um, uh, of its uh, identity the same as the ocean. Right, So when it goes in, the reason why it becomes a part of it is because it's the same thing. You, you go with that in God. Now you're, you're, you're saying things about identity. You're identifying things that are not true. You're saying false statements. And I actually ran into this when I was in India. So we're talking about God, and the waiter picks up the fork and says, I'm a God, the fork is God, and all of that. Well, then now you're changing the definition of what God is. You're going to change the definition of either what everything else, like what we call reality is, or what God is by the law of identity. You're going to change one of those things. And the moment that you do, and as they, they, they're forced to, what you're going to do is get rid of a God and go back to an atheistic mindset. That's why China has a large population of atheists who still practice Confucianism and things like that because it's like an atheistic religion that's okay with that contradiction. Even Sam Harris, the, the famous atheist neuroscience, writes a book about purpose and all of that, and everybody makes fun of him in the the atheist community because they're like, this is silly. You're borrowing all the language of Christianity and, and a belief in a God, but you're saying you can do this without the belief in a God because basically your universe now becomes God. Well, the problem with that is, is you've changed identity and you're just playing make-believe. You're really uh, doing nothing more than playing make-believe. And let me just get you his book so you can know. Sam Harris' book. Uh, here it is. Yeah, it's, it's called Waking Up, the book that I'm talking about, and it has a picture of, of, of the clouds and the ideas that you can be spiritual without having a spirit. Like, yeah, literally, listen to what it says. Sam Harris, brilliant neuroscientist, neuro, uh, Waking Up, a guide to spirituality without religion. Okay, let's just see if you guys can catch this. I'm going to go back to Joe B, making sure I did it right, um, answered his question. A spiritual guide... Okay, without religion. Okay, where has he contradicted himself here? Guide spiritual. Okay, where has he contradicted himself? If his definition of, first we've got to know what his definition of religion is. He's an atheist. You know he's an atheist. As, as a fan of Sam Harris, you would know he's an atheist. You can't see a spirit. Exactly. How can you be spiritual without having a God? It's, it's silly. But his book is using the idea of spirituality as an illusion, that, that since you're already 
and he believes you don't have a free will. Uh, it appears like you have a free will, but you really don't. Like the same kind of ideas. This is a little different than Alex Rosenberg, but very similar. And uh, the, the idea is since you're in this world of illusion, why not get all you can out of it? You know, so it appears like you have a purpose, so live for that purpose. It appears like you're happier when you do something nice for your neighbor. It appears that uh, when you think of a higher power or something bigger than you, you know, it does something psychologically to you. So it's, it's trying to borrow these things from our worldview without having the foundation, right? So that's, that's the answer for that. Any other questions? Two minutes left. Okay, Sadia has the last question. Okay, mate, do you have the mic, please? Thank you. Uh, I think my question has to do with more of Christianity, so I'm not sure if you want me to wait till next week. Yeah, let's just wait till next Amen. week then, because next week we'll go through the book in the man versus okay. other people's book in man. Okay, let's go to Joe B. real quick. As a matter of fact, let me just pray, because I've gotten you guys in a bad habit of being late, and it's already 1259. There's just, I mean, no way. But I, I will answer it when I, we shut it off. So, Joe B., would you get ready to shut it off, please? Thank you. Thank you for joining us online as well. Uh, please don't expect us to discuss these things, or for me, to discuss these with you on Facebook. I would rather take a cheese grater and shave my head than, than, than to get into online debates. They are so fruitless. I have five kids. I have enough things to do in my life than to try to prove to you the uh, what we would call the transcendental nature of reality. I don't want to do that on Facebook. But feel free to come in person. And join me at church at Metro Praise, and we'll love to discuss these with you. We have a lot of preachers ready for you. Father, thank you for this wonderful time. Uh, you've given us your word to stand on. We know what we know because you have told it to us. You are the way, the truth, and the life. All things are true because you are true. And Lord, help us to build our foundation upon Jesus and the reality of who he is, that he actually lived and died, rose again, and is coming back for us. And may we experience the spiritual rebirth to live by the Holy Spirit abiding in our lives, to grow and mature to all that you've called us to be. In Jesus' name. And save the atheist, the agnostic, the deist, the pantheist, and all world religions, Lord. This is your desire, and that's why you've called us to go into all the world, teaching them to obey everything you've commanded us to obey. And, and uh, Lord, you'll be with us always. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen.